Bibles, turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1. Matthew, chapter 1. I'm reading verses 1 through 6, and then verses 17 to the end. And this is not the kind of uh, text where I would have you stand. So uh, you can remain seated as I read uh, Matthew, chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, and then 17 through the end. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. Then moving forward to verse 17 to the rest. Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are given the name Jesus, because he will save people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate the marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Almighty God, we humble ourselves before you and your word today. We come before you, Jesus, claiming you as our Lord and asking you to lead us in the days ahead. We want to do your will. We want to be more faithful stewards. And so, Lord, we're listening we're listening for what is said and what is not said. We're listening to the Holy Spirit asking for direction from you. So, Lord, speak to us, and we will obey. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Well, today is January 2nd, the second day of the new year. And it's a day, or day number two, which many of you, many of us, have decided to start over. I hope you haven't failed on day two. <laughs> Some people have decided to give up something. Give up chocolate, give up caffeine, give up carbonated drinks. Some of you have decided to start something. Maybe you want to read the Bible in a year. Start doing that. Or maybe you want to start exercising. Some people have made New Year's goals for 2022. They've decided that this year is going to be the year they get in shape, or 
the year they're going to finally lose weight. But I know some of you are jaded. You're tired of resolutions. And so instead of making resolutions, you have at least been making plans for this new year. You've got new pages for your calendar if you still use pen and paper. You're starting to watch your finances more closely this year. You're going to make sure you can navigate your bills. Maybe you decide, you know what? I'm going to get this semester off to a good start in school. I'm going to get off on the right foot. I think all of us, all of us have decided that at least this early in the year that we want to get off to the right step. But whether we realize it or not, there's never really a start over because we're always building on the past. We can't just cut the past from our lives. We're always building on the past. And maybe that's a little bit of the fallacy of the idea of starting over, is people never really recognize the problems that they inherited. I knew a guy that uh, was overweight and was starting to hurt his knees, starting to hurt his health, leading him to the possibility of diabetes. So he decided to get a gastric bypass. And once he got that gastric bypass, he lost a ton of weight. He was on a liquid diet for quite a while. But he never really addressed the underlying issues of why it was that he was eating. He found out later on that he was eating to comfort himself over grief, and he was eating in the context of stress, and he was eating to reward himself. And because he never handled the underlying issues, the gastric bypass was only a short-term solution, which had to be done again. Because the underlying issues follow us, we can never really start over. You know that to be the case. You've probably gone to a new school or a new college or moved into a new community or maybe you've even um, found a, a new spouse or um, lost a spouse and remarried. And you have found that in that new school or in that new location or with those new friends, the same problems crop up that you've always had to deal with. And you think, how is it that I'm always having to deal with the same kind of issue? Well, it might be that those are issues you've carried into this new situation. Because you never really do start over. We're always building on the past. But what I want to tell you today is that the past is a good thing. No matter how bad your past is, would you recognize that you're here today? You're here today making a good faith effort to start this year off right, to start this year off in church, to start this year off doing things the way God has called you to do. So your past hasn't been that bad because you're here today. And so this morning I want to challenge us to start this new year the right way. But let's get into the text because I think this text is so interesting. It's not the kind of text that I encourage people who want to read the Bible and say, you know, preacher, I just, I want to start reading the Bible. I rarely tell them to go to the genealogy of Jesus and Matthew. 
that's one of those things, kind of like Leviticus, where you can really lose somebody quickly. But this passage is so interesting. It's interesting because chapter 1, verse 1, it says, this is the genealogy of Jesus. Or some versions say, this is the book of the genealogy of Jesus. Or this is the record of the genealogy of Jesus. And the Greek there, it says this is the book, or the Biblios, that sounds like a book, right? Of the genealogy. Listen to the Greek word for genealogy. It is Genesis. This, Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of Jesus, is Genesis. It's the new beginning. The new beginning, and it starts with Jesus after 42 generations. 42 generations. That's a lot of stuff that happened before Genesis. If you were to look at this, these generations, you've got some surprising characters in there. I don't know if you saw it. I didn't read it all, but there's five women listed in this genealogy, which is kind of rare in the ancient world genealogy. And of those five women, four of them are foreigners that are listed. So this is certainly not a pure Jew, Jewish-only genealogy. And they're surprising. The one uh, Israelite woman, or Hebrew woman, is Bathsheba, the one who David had an affair with. There's some surprising figures in this. 42 generations. Now when we compare that with the record of First and Second Kings, it's missing a few folks. It's missing three kings, and one king is out of place. But still, 42 generations that lead up to Jesus. So before I get into three points that are going to help us in the, in the new year, let me just remind you that we have a tendency to speed things up in our mind's eye. We, we think that, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in shape. Well, listen, if you're going to get in shape, it's going to take a lot longer than going to the gym one day. Right? Or I'm going to lose weight. You might be different than me, but if you decide that you're going to lose weight, that, that's a change in lifestyle. See, things take a lot longer than we anticipate. I think that's why there's 42 generations prior to Jesus. God was at work. All that time God was at work. But the start is with Jesus. So I want to remind you, don't speed things up in your mind. This is day number two. But we got a long way ahead of us. And I think sometimes we make the mistake of jumping ahead. How many years did the Israelites wander in the wilderness before going to the promised land? Forty years. That's a long time. Some of you, you're not even 40 years old. I was 10 40 years ago. Some of you, Rex, you know, you were probably, what, 60-something, 40 years yeah. ago? <laughs> 40 years ago, I'm How many years were the Israelites in Egypt before they cried out to God and before God liberated them from Egypt crossing the Red Sea? 400 years. 400 years. So I think 
when I see 42 generations before the birth of Jesus, and I see numbers like 40 and 400, I'm reminded that God works not only in the specific micro things, but in the large macro issues. God works in the long term. And as we go into this new year, I want you to look not only at today's resolution, but this whole year and the years ahead. So I've got three things that I think we can derive from this passage to encourage us. The first one is that we should start with celebration. The first thing we should do in 2022 is we should celebrate. Now I'm not talking about uh, the, the ball dropping and counting down from 10 and having a toast with friends, though that is celebration. I'm talking about celebrating the things of God. You don't realize in Matthew, the birth of Jesus is all couched in celebration. The shepherds come and celebrate. One of the other gospels, the magi come and celebrate. The angels in heaven celebrate. Everybody is celebrating the birth of Jesus. And, and consequently, I think it's right for us to celebrate the birth of Jesus. That's what we, we do. We also celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's Easter. We celebrate those things. But even more, every week we come together and we celebrate our Sabbath for our Resurrection Sunday. We celebrate in church the first day of the week. Now, this is more than do not forsake the assembly. I'm not trying to tell you that you need to make a resolution to attend church, though that is true. What I'm suggesting to you is that this year we need to commit ourselves to celebrating the right things. This was God's plan from the very beginning. Remember when God created the heavens and the earth? What did he do on the seventh day? He rested. Not only to teach us to rest, but to teach us that that day is a day of holiness. In fact, one of the Ten Commandments is to observe or keep a Sabbath. In other words, we have been pre-programmed, you and I, every week to celebrate God by clockwork. That's how we've been designed. To celebrate the grand things like the birth of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, but also to celebrate the weekly things that this week I am calling out to God and I'm praising Him. That's what worship is, by the way. It is showing affection to God, praising God. Now, maybe you don't feel like it. I recognize that. I talked to somebody, asked them how their Christmas went. They said our Christmas went, our Christmas was like any other day. Just not into it this year, just not into the celebration thing. One person said, I haven't seen my grandkids for two years because of COVID. So I, we don't feel like celebrating. Some, maybe some day we'll celebrate. Funerals have been put off. Funerals of Christian people because of COVID. And so the family's like, you know what? We're just not going to we're just not going to have a celebration of life, but we'll do it someday. When that's the thing that we do as Christians, we celebrate God. And I think that we can start by determining to follow 
the pattern that God set for us, which is every week we celebrate God. And the great thing about that is it's not based on how we feel. Did you notice that? <laughs> Celebrating God once a week is because God is worthy, not because we want to. Otherwise, well, when we celebrate when we want to, and who knows? I don't know how flighty you are. I know some people, they're ready to celebrate every day. I know other people that when they're celebrating, I don't think they're celebrating. They're just so miserable. But the pattern that God set was every week, and every week's celebration. Of course, there were other festivals. There was uh, harvest and, and gathering. And for the Jews, they celebrate the Passover. We don't celebrate Passover like that, but we celebrate our own Passover, which is when Christ died on the cross for us. There's plenty of things to celebrate. This year, I want you to commit yourself to celebrating God. Amen. No, matter, no matter how you feel. I don't know if you were taught this. I was taught this as a kid. You give your offering first. Were you, were you taught that? You give your offering first. You give 10%. This is what I was taught as a kid. You give 10% before all the bills are paid. Now, why do you give 10% at the front end? Why not pay the bills and then give 10%? Well, part of the reason is it's an act of faith. Because you believe that when you put Christ first, that there'll be left over to be able to take care of your needs. But I want to tell you even more, it's an act of celebration. You recognize that everything you've been given is from God. And so you're given a portion away to celebrate God. Your offering is a celebration to God. How much, how much do you celebrate God? You can't put a percentage on that. I know we like to say 10%. But sometimes I think, at least in the Christian church, the reason we say 10% is because we're trying to get the bills paid. Like if everybody gave 10%, then we, would, we could pay all of our bills. That, that turns offering upside down into something where you're always trying to get up an offering. Offering, worship, singing, those are acts of celebration to God. You do that first because of who God is. So I want you to commit to celebration. That's the first thing. The second thing I want you to notice is <coughs> I want you to commit to celebration, but I want you to commit yourself to balance. To balance. Don't get lost only in the short term, and don't get lost by being paralyzed by an uncertain future. You see, it takes both the short term and the long term. Did you see that how many generations was it before Jesus was born? That was, a, that was a long time. But then we see a small little picture of Mary and Joseph and the, and the naming of baby Jesus. It takes both short and long. I think sometimes people have a tendency to overemphasize one aspect over the other. And they can get paralyzed. If you pay too much attention to today, then that's not a good plan for the future. But if you're so worried about the future and all of its uncertainty, you're not going to live life to the full today. It takes balance. It's the rare person that can 
It can be both short-term and long-term. Frequently, we have people in our lives that counterbalance us. I'm generalizing here, but Gail is a good counterbalance to me. I'm thinking to myself, what is God doing in this world? What's God doing in our life? What's God doing in this church? What is God trying to move in this congregation? What is God leading us to do in the future? What kind of church do we need to be? Where am I in God's will? Is this where God wants? Has he planted me here? What does it mean to bloom here? And Gail is, what are we having for dinner today? Now, I'm not, I'm not, I'm generalizing here. I'm not saying that Gail doesn't ask the big questions. And I certainly eat dinner every day, trust me. But we have to be able to kind of balance each other. You see, the Lord's Prayer is give us this day our daily bread. That's a daily thing. But it's also, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That's a big, eternal, large-scale thing. And the same prayer is both the short-term and the long-term. And our God is a God of short and long. God knows the numbers of hair on your head. Some of you are losing hair as we speak. <laughs> That's so short-term. But then we also have Romans 5, 6, that at just the right time, God sent his, his, God sent his son to die for the ungodly. His whole plan over all these generations since Adam and Eve was to send his son Jesus. That's a, such a big long-term picture. God is both in the long-term and in the short-term. And so I want to encourage you not only to make celebration a priority, but to balance between the long-term and the short-term. Don't get stuck in one or the other. If you have your Bible still, look at the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 12. Luke 12 and Luke 14. Luke chapter 12, verse 16. I'll start with that one. Luke 12, 16. And he told him this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night um, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? You have the example here of the rich man Looking into the future, because he's got a bumper crop, and he decides, I'm just going to take it easy. He was looking long-term, build bigger barns, and chill out. And God says, you fool, this very night your life is going to be demanded from you. He was overemphasizing the long-term and not the short-term. But in the same sense, we have to be able to calculate the cost. Turn a couple pages forward to Luke chapter 14, verses 28 to 32. Look at this. Luke 14, 28 to 32. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? 
For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king, will he first sat, sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he'll send a delegation while the other is a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Jesus is saying that we should count the cost. So we need to balance between the short term and the long term. We need to celebrate, make that a priority, and we need to have balance in our lives. The third thing that I'd like to tell you as we go into this new year from this passage is that we need to make Christianity to be about Jesus. I know that's a weird thing to say, but I think sometimes church can become a lot of looking good and acting good. You know a non-Christian can act like a Christian, right? You don't have to be a Christian to act like a Christian. But to be a Christian, you have to have a relationship with Jesus. Too many times, churches get caught up in trying to look right. And my encouragement to you is to be right with Christ. To have a relationship with Jesus. He's got to be the center of our life. Now, all of those values, all, all of those ethics and morals, those are good, right morals and ethics. I'm not disagreeing with them at all. And I would want the whole world, whether they're Christian or not, to not steal, to not murder, to honor their father and mother, all those things. Because that's how God designed us. God designed us to be godly. But would you understand that you can be godly without having Jesus in your life. And the distinctive thing that we Christians have isn't our behavior, it is Christ in our lives. Now, consequently, that's going to be the behaviors. But if we start with the behavior side, then you could actually get people who come to church who have no relationship with Jesus, but they live good, moral, ethical lives. I'll never forget the surprise that I had when I met somebody who was a good person, and I just assumed that they were a Christian. Have you, has that ever happened to you before? Because they were such a good person, I assumed they were a Christian, only to find out that they weren't a Christian at all. They were just a good person. And you know what? I find myself deep inside being okay with that. Like, oh, hey, he's, I mean, he's, there. he's there a good person. That's not okay because without Christ, there is no salvation. For you and I, too. One of the most troubling parables in the Bible, in Matthew, is when Jesus says that many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? And I will tell them, you, you know what? Depart from me because I 
never knew you. This rocks my world. I've never prophesied telling the future. I've never cast out demons. These people had done things that I have never done. And on Judgment Day, Jesus is going to say to them, I never knew you. Now, what do you do with that? Because Jesus knows everybody. He knows everybody. He knows the hairs on their head. I think what that means is that there are people who are doing great things but have no relationship with Jesus. And therefore, Jesus doesn't know them because they've never developed a relationship with him. So on this new year, let's make celebration a priority, yes. Let's have balance between the short term and the long term. But let's make Christianity be about Jesus. And then, once it's about Jesus, everything else flows. Our good behavior flows because we're obeying Christ. And people see our good deeds in heaven, and they don't give us the praise or the thanks. They thank God in heaven. Because what's distinct about Christians is not that we're good people, is that we are followers of Christ. Let me just close with this. Um, I, I know a lot of stuff that I should be doing, could be doing, would be doing. Sometimes I will lay in bed and I will think about all the books that I should be reading on my desk. I come to my, my study and they, they call out to me, come on, read us. I sit down and I think about the people that I could see, should see, must see. I'm not, I'm not telling you that I'm smart, that I see all those things. What I'm telling you is I could get paralyzed. Paralyzed because there's so much that I could, should, would, must do. I, I can't do it all. Right? I can't do it all. If I started today, I don't think I could do it all. And it's paralyzing. But I heard this, this great piece of advice that has really changed, changed my world really for the last, I'm going to say, six weeks now. And that is 1% better every week. 1% better every week. Not 99% better, not 50% better. If I can strive to be 1% better this week than last week, just 1%, what would that look like? And then the next week, the goal would be to be 1% better from the week before. That means, that doesn't mean I, I give up on the other 99%. That means that I don't let the 99% paralyze me. Because the truth is, you and I can never, are never going to be good enough we're never going to be good enough. That's why we cling to the grace that we have in Jesus Christ. But what we can do is we can try our very best. And I guess for me, 1% is something I can put my mind around. I can put my, put my hands on that. 
1% better in my eating, 1% better in my exercising, 1% better in my Bible reading, 1% better in my praying, 1% better as a church. What does that look like? Now, I know you would say, at the end of the year, that means you're going to be a 52% better person. Now, don't go there, because that's going to paralyze me. It's going to be 1% better today. So let me leave you with that challenge. Prioritize celebration. Have balance between the long term and the short term. Make life to be about Jesus. And when we depart today, 1% better. Do that 1% better. That's my challenge for you. Let's pray again. Lord in heaven, we thank you for the story of Jesus and we thank you, Lord, how you worked definitively among 48 generations. So, God, you see the big picture. And we are a part of that big picture. We thank you for that. We thank you. But, Lord, in the meantime, uh, there's today. And uh, we ask, Lord, that in the today, that you would become real to us, that today would be 1% better. So, Lord, we commit our lives to you. We make you be the center of our life. And along the way, we thank you for the grace that covers our sins. We pray your blessing on us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. There's a lot of stuff that we could be doing and should be doing, but if you pay attention to that too much, you start to think that you can do it on your own. We, we don't believe you can do it on your own. That's why Jesus Christ had to die on the cross. He had to die so that we could be forgiven, to make a way. Grace, unmerited, unearned, while we were sinners. So we're going to sing this song, this song, Amazing Grace. And what we're, we're saying to God is, we recognize, God, that it was your grace that has given us the opportunity now to approach you. We don't earn anything, but oh, we want to, we want to strive. So let's stand and sing this song again.
five years ago, three years ago, we're a completely different church, which is a wonderful thing. But what we have found is, because we're a different church, all of our ministry teams, all of our previous things that we were doing, we don't have rotations for those anymore. Um, and so next Sunday, we're going to have a big sign-up of rotations. People to help with communion, people to help unlock the church uh, for services, people to run the sound system, people to help with the donuts, setting up tables for the third Sunday, uh, dinner, all kinds of things. And we, we need your help, otherwise if all these things fall on a couple of people. And like I tell people, you know, when I met Helen, she was like 6'3". We knocked her down to just whittled her down to nothing because she's doing so much behind the scenes. So I really want you to uh, carefully consider joining the church's efforts uh, so that we can all work together for the good of the church. So that's going to happen next week. You'll have those sheets to take home and consider what things you can sign up for and then send that back to the church. You'll hear more about that, but that's going to be next week. Okay, what else do you want to Choir restarts this Wednesday and Bible study. Uh, this Wednesday we're going to be talking about doctrines of the church for our Bible study. All right, let me go ahead and close with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, you are good all the time. We acknowledge you as our Lord and Savior, the very guide of our life, and Lord, we love you. We're committing to be 1% better. And we pray to the one God that can make this happen. Bless our efforts. As together we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. As we leave today, um, I realized um, we've lost several good saints this year to COVID, to just um, life. And um, I am so thankful for this church and to be a part of the family of God. Um, and I just wanted to sing that today. Jeremiah 29 tells us that God knows the, the plans he has for us to give us a future and a hope. And that when we seek him with all of our heart, we will find him. So that is my prayer, that you will continue to be so thankful to be a part of the family of God and to continue to seek him.